0: From the Adult Swim headquarters at William Street. This is Matt Harrigan with the Adult Swim Podcast. Today we're talking to Jeff Grant, who runs research for Adult Swim. What does that mean? Well, we'll find out. Jeff, how's your health? Pretty good. You have any uh, flaws in your body?
1: Uh, I just came off of uh, finding out that I had heel spurs on, wow. both, on both feet, and I still ran the peach tree. Well, what was your time? Uh, I was, I think, 53.27. Wow, pretty good. It was all right.
0: Is that good? Uh, I don't know. I just said it uh, It's nice. not
1: my fastest. It's not my slowest, so I was happy. And it Did was you train happy. for it? Uh, I typically run about five miles every other day, yeah. and on weekends I do eight, so this is fine.
0: What are you running from?
1: <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just I run to run obviously I run to hurt myself ultimately
0: feel like your body's falling apart
1: you know sometimes uh, it does feel that way yeah yeah tell us what your job is so I am senior vice president of research uh, and insights for Cartoon Network Adult Swim and Boomerang so I have uh, two teams that report into me one of them here at William Street the other one across the street at Techwood we test all of the pilots. Uh, that go on air we analyze all the nielsen ratings we do all of the primary uh research for uh, uh the brand and show awareness tracking and promo testing uh we do research in support of pretty much every single department that we have in the division whether it's you know marketing or consumer project products or digital and and mobile um i kind of like to say that we're sort of the uh the catcher on the baseball team where we're in every play you know, from one degree to another, uh, providing the support and um, information that uh, the division needs to do business.
0: So walk us through uh, the testing of a pilot, how that would work. So explain that to the to somebody who might not know anything about it.
1: Sure. Uh, well, you can do it a couple of different ways. The the major way that, that we do it, there's a uh, a vendor that we use out in Hollywood, and basically it's a theater and they recruit about 50 or so people that come in and we give them a screener um to figure out the age range and what type of person uh that we want coming in a mix of um i don't know you want a 50 50 split of male females you know ethnicity whatever household income whatever it is if they watch adult swim or not um and uh what they'll do is they'll come in uh they uh, fill out a little questionnaire, watch the show, fill something out afterwards, and then, um, well, while the show is on and they're watching it, we're watching them through uh, the two way glass watch the show. And uh, they each have dials, and while they're watching it, they can turn the dial up or down to see, to indicate basically how they feel about what they're seeing uh, about the given episode at, at any time. So, Afterwards, they'll fill the fuller questionnaire out about um, scenes or characters or, um, you know, different aspects of what it is that they just saw. And then we choose a variety of different people uh, to stay afterwards and do some focus groups and talk about what it is that they just saw to kind of get some color to uh, to the questionnaire that they filled out. And they get paid. They do. They are incentivized for sure. Well, how much do they get paid? Uh, it depends. Um, I don't exactly know what the going rate is right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, you're you know bringing people in to have their, we're taking up their time and uh, they're doing a job for us. So does the
0: data determine whether or not a show moves forward?
1: Um, that's a tricky question. Um, what I'd like to say is that there are a lot of people that misunderstand how to use show testing. Uh, the show testing is not going to tell you if you have a hit on your hands, but it will tell you in a lot of cases whether you have something materially wrong. And you also have to keep in mind that they're in many cases watching only one episode of the show. So, you know, I know that there was that, that story about how Seinfeld tested horribly I mean, I've never seen the report, so I don't know what exactly was said, and I don't know which episode they tested. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, we test pretty much every pilot, I think, that comes through here. Um, We were actually doing some testing a a couple weeks ago. Uh, uh, for a, a couple of anime shows and uh, some new stuff that that's coming down the pike, so it's always interesting to see what the feedback is, and you can tell you know one of the questions in the questionnaire is where uh, the show is best suited and you you know you get the option of Adult Swim or Comedy Central or something like that, and you can tell right away where people are thinking the the best places for that given show.
0: So, in your experience, it, does it correlate to success? Uh, uh, well, high performing?
1: No, and it's not intended to. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, or just
0: coincidentally, anecdotally. Does, yeah, do it, you gives think it, you, does? it
1: gives you a peek under the hood, and uh, you know, if there's an indication that a character or something is not working, uh, it's something that you can go back and and tinker with.
0: So, looking back over, how many years have you been doing this?
1: Well. Uh, April twenty fifth was my twenty third anniversary wow. at Turner, but I've been associated with Cartoon Network since ninety nine.
0: So, do you see patterns in data based decision making versus sort of taste based, or is it a combination? What's your?
1: I think it's a combination. Thought of on a, that? It's a combination of of the two for sure. Um, but you also have to keep in mind that there's an expectation of the kind of show for Adult Swim that we would put on the air um, and uh, you know, I don't know whether people like quirky or edgy or whatever the description is, but uh, I think that the, the consumers when they come in and, and uh, watch the show for the test, they kind of have that in the back of their head. And if it's something that's kind of out there um, I think we, we get a bit more latitude, I think for some of the, uh, um, you know, far out there programs.
0: Have you seen sometimes shows just get absolutely killed in a focus group? Oh yeah, and do they disappear?
1: I have seen that sure,
0: based on a focus group reaction
1: based on focus group reaction for sure.
0: everyone hates it. It's dead.
1: well, think about this, you know for a lot of the stuff that we have, it's animated, and you know you've been involved in animated programming yourself, and how far down the line do you have to be in the animation process before you have something uh, to show. Uh, so in some cases we might have a couple of, uh, of episodes already, you know, in progress. So, you know, sometimes we will run those regardless. I think live action is probably a little bit of a different story where we'll get a pilot, uh, and take a look at it. And it will be just that one episode where we could either go back and say, Hey, these things, you know, tweak this or do that, or just see completely that the thing is not working.
0: So you've been here forever. Walk us through your arrival. Well, I here. brought some.
1: I actually brought some show and tell. Oh, okay. Because this is a visual, hard to do that in a podcast. This is a visual but... <laughs> medium, right? Uh, yeah. Here, but I will show you what I brought with me. Okay. That is uh, the first, if not one of the first.
0: Jeff handing me a document. Yes. Stable document, several pages that
1: I've had in my files for wow. years, dated uh, Halloween of 2000, and it is the marketing plan for what was then called the parental block.
0: Wow, that's a. That was the original title. Uh, that went away.
1: That went away quick. Well, can you imagine? Parental block. How, how dated that term? Uh, right.
0: Was it a pun on, on cable operators being able to block channels?
1: Yeah. It was, it didn't Tip or Gore have something to do with that no, back right. then?
0: Wow. So this is dated, yeah, Halloween 2000.
1: Right. And it says that the launch is April 1st of the following year. Aquatine, I believe, premiered in December of 2000. So it... It came on air, or the show's at least launched before the date specified on that particular marketing document.
0: Right. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. So you held on to that. I did. You held on to a lot of memorabilia from over the years.
1: Mm, no, this is probably one of the more unique things. Um, I have a couple things from the Cartoon Network side, um, like when the, we launched Teen Titans, the original series. I kept the show bible for that because I thought that was kind of cool.
0: But you saw... Why did you hold on to that?
1: You know what? I don't even think that I realized I had it until uh, much later. Uh, And once I realized I had it, I kept it nicely because I figured it was a nice little artifact, little document.
0: Yeah. It's in good shape.
1: Yeah, it's very good shape. Um,
0: So you you were here for the the dawning of the network and and before.
1: That's right. Uh, So, yeah, I started in 99 and... uh, we launched CartoonNetwork.com, and then that went ad-supported, and then Adult Swim came around because, you know, we were Cartoon Network 24 hours a day back then. And uh, after a while, it gets tough to monetize a part of the day where kids are sleeping. So, right. And we tend to give away a lot of—we uh, do what the, what's called uh, under-delivery make-goods uh, with uh, with the inventory that ran overnight. So, add inventory. Add inventory. So you're not really making money on that. And then, you know, the people here at, uh, at Techwood came up with the idea of what ultimately became Adult Swim. And the rest is history. We were on for, what was like two nights a week. And then it rolled out and expanded and took over all, all evening and all through late night.
0: What did you think when you heard that this was a proposal?
1: You know it's a great idea. I mean it was a win win all around uh it was just a matter I think of getting content and putting it in and having it, it work but uh, I did you know I was on the ad sales side at the time, and just from the people that I spoke to, I mean it was the more you give them to do and sell, the better. so I know that they were in uh excited and incentivized by that
0: so it's interesting, so how many kids? I mean I'm saying it's interesting cuz I think I know the answer but how many kids watch the network at midnight on a Monday night So
1: so here's here's the thing so I I one of the things that I did get involved with back uh when I was in New York on the ad sales uh, side working uh on Adult Swim is that we would do Nielsen analyses, right? And we would see when the numbers came in that kids were still up and watching Adult Swim at two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning. And you look at the numbers and you're like, there, there's, this can't be right. Um, and one of the problems that we had obviously was uh, if you have a high percentage of kids watching, there are certain uh, advertisers that you're not allowed to bring in. So for instance, We were not allowed to bring in M-rated video games. We were not allowed to bring in R-rated movie advertisers. But a lot of these guys were all just kind of like looking at us, chomping at the bit, wanting to get involved with Adult Swim. They just couldn't do it just because uh, rules with the ESRB and the MPAA uh, precluded them from from doing that. So I actually went to Nielsen, and I was like, can you help us out here? Because something doesn't sound right. And we ended up doing an analysis of uh of sleepers using my air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they were able to see is you know the the way that uh uh they're able to track ratings is that in uh recruited homes they have the the people meter. And one of the uh, downsides to the the people meter is that there's usually after about 45 minutes or so a light that flashes and you're supposed to hit the um the remote control that comes with it to tell them that you're still there watching. But if you don't hit the button, nothing happens. And it just continues to roll and and, and measure. So what we said to them is that, you know, if you've got kids in the home, and back then there were a lot of TVs in kids' rooms, uh, it'd be interesting to see the juxtaposition now with the kids that have you know tablets and laptops and, and things instead of the television. But um, can you look at the people meter and see whether anything changes over the course of the evening? And if it doesn't, you could pretty well assume that a kid had fallen asleep in front of the television because the people meter reporting would just flatline throughout the entire night. And if you take that out, Then what happens to the composition of uh, viewers that you have watching Adult Swim or, you know, late night on the same channel as Cartoon Network? So if a kid fell asleep while they were watching Cartoon Network and then Adult Swim came on and they're out cold. Um, So if you took all of those out, the compositions totally changed to a point where... um, We met the requirements of both the ESRB and the MPAA, and we got Nielsen to write us a a mea culpa letter, uh, for lack of a better term. And once we did that and went to the advertisers, I think what I remember hearing back then in the first week, it was like an incremental fifteen million dollars that we got in like video game and movie money because they were just they were good to go and no kids, yeah, or at least few enough that legally it allowed them to uh, to advertise.
0: And that opened the floodgates?
1: For those two categories, uh, for sure. Um, you know, beer and wine liquor is another issue. Um, and there, there's other uh, uh, issues with it sharing channel space with the kids' network for that.
0: It seems like it's always been a bit of a burden, right? Sharing channel space with the kids' network?
1: Yeah, it, totally. You know, over the years, we've had to do research on research. Uh for one with Adult Swim, how to know how to ask about Adult Swim because you know, when we first started there weren't a lot of people who knew what it was in the sense that, you know, from a Nielsen standpoint, it's a separate television network. But for the consumer that's watching the network or watching the channel, it flows one into the other. It's and so it's one channel, is it a block that runs on Cartoon Network? Is it is it its own uh um, network by itself. Uh, so we had to do a lot of that. And, um, you know, certainly as part of the, the the brand research that we do on both the Cartoon Network and the Adult Swim side is, you know, see the effect, you know, in the case of, like, if we survey parents about Cartoon Network, you know, there are, occasionally it will come up about Adult Swim, although that's kind of mellowed out a little bit over the years.
0: In the early days, parents would be up in arms over some of the programming.
1: Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, we we basically have the same sort of model as the Nick, Nick, and Knight, uh, what they do. Yeah. Um, even though I think their programming is arguably a bit milder than what we have on Adult Swim. But I also think Adult Swim is programmed in such a way where some of the dicey stuff is on later at night, so there is a greater separation between that and, uh, you know, gumball and, uh, Teen Titans go and that kind of thing.
0: Do you feel like you have to try and differentiate your personal behavior with the behavior of the potential audience?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. What How I, does that work? Well, you know, you run into a lot of people, uh, with, who do kind of armchair research and base that on what their friends and family know. But, uh, you know, especially, especially around here is really tough, um, because, you know, we're all we work in the media business and uh, it, it makes it a little bit different than, you know, average American across the country uh, who probably does not consume as much media as we do working in the industry. Um, so I would rather take what's going on from a, a, you know, a nationally representative sample than a handful of people who are, you know, work for a media company.
0: You get a lot of opinions offered your way? Very many. <laughs> Internally?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other side of that argument, though, is like if you talk to to Lazo and he, like I'm not telling tales out of school here, he would probably say that, you know, the people who work here at uh, William Street, and there's a part of this that's, that's absolutely true, are really, they are the audience for Adult Swim. Uh, you know, young Uh, people within the demographic and uh, whether they have tv or are streaming it on uh, other types of services you know uh, uh, in his mind it it it, the people who work here in the profile that they uh represent uh, are very reflective of what he sees as the the general audience
0: so would you agree with that from your professional uh with your with your background in it do you agree
1: uh, I prefer not to take, uh, not to give as much weight to the people around me here at work, even though their opinion is important for sure. Uh, I'd rather rely on what it is that I can find in the research that we do. Data. Mm-hmm.
0: So your, the information, the data that you gather informs the program selection and the programming, uh, where in the night. They that's, go.
1: That's correct. So I've got people on my team work with Kim Manning, who was on this podcast yeah. uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, work with her and help her uh, realign the schedule if it needs realigning. If there's shows that need to come off or um, you know uh, nights that get to re- rearranged in order to maximize the amount of viewership. That's all the analysis that we do. Uh, In addition to and related to this are the the estimates that we that the team puts together for um, forecasting the business.
0: That's got to be very difficult.
1: It is. Uh, You know, we like to to look at a couple of years uh, ahead, but any further than that is really kind of tough because you just don't know um, what's going to happen much further out than that.
0: What do you think is going to happen? (laughs)
1: tell us Um, you know I think uh, we'll
0: listen to this in a year and see if you were
1: right well I I think look you know Warner Media has this OTT uh, thing that's coming out that they actually just announced the name for today and um, you know I I think that there is definitely down the road going to be a a change in the business model it it has to be Uh, and I think that this uh, OTT product is a step in that direction. Um, you know, part of it is getting all of the uh, the content from the company back, getting the Rick and Morty's, uh, you know, and you know, Warner Media made the whole, uh, or there was a whole announcement about Friends and taking it off of Netflix. You know, this is all the kind of chess moves that are happening to try to make um, this product successful.
0: If you could sum it up in a nutshell what's the current adult swim viewer
1: the viewer has actually gotten older um they've grown up with the brand in a sense so we're definitely a little older now than what we were because the people who joined us when we first started and were you know 18 to 24 year olds have in large part stuck with the brand so um you know, as far as like a target demographic now, I think is closer to in an uh, uh, in eighteen to forty-nine, just because of the broad scope of the people that now watch the the network uh, and have done so over the years. But I would say that we definitely program to that younger end of uh, the age range because that's basically what Adult Swim is. It's it's I think it's attitudinal. It's it's it's. Um,
0: is oh, it a thirty-year-old male living in? Cleveland,
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's that specific, <laughs> but uh, you we to we've, it. We've we've definitely no 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 we've we've definitely uh, gotten to be uh, a bit more equally balanced between male and, and female over the years. Um, where you know, cartoon skews definitely more boy. Uh, Adult Swim has been balancing out, which is which is good to see.
0: Tell us about your relationship with the New York Times Crossword Puzzle.
1: Uh, it's, it goes back a long ways. Um, I've been doing the, the crossword for probably over 30 years at least. My grandmother on my dad's side was a big New York Times Crossword Puzzle fan, and my mom uh, is, is a big fan of the puzzle. So I kind of came by it naturally. So I don't know that I've – I don't think I've, I've missed one. I actually juggle a lot of them.
0: You do, you do it every day?
1: I do the New York Times every day. Uh, I do the Nation Cryptic when that comes in, which is usually every other week. But then there are some stretches during the year where it's every week. So I have to keep an eye out for that. And then on Fridays, the Wall Street Journal uh, delivers its specialty puzzle for Saturday. Hmm. So that's where uh, when I uh, came on the streams and took the moniker of Eugene Tmolesk. Yeah, who's that? Uh, he was the New York Times Crossword Puzzle Editor back in the 1970s. I think maybe even the early 80s. Um, and it it was funny because, uh, when I first got on the chat and started to follow, uh, what was then, I think Dave and the crossword guys or whatever it was being called then. Um, I kind of came off as like a WWE villain because everybody thought that I was cheating, uh, with the answers in the puzzle. Um, but that wasn't the case. And, uh, I finally like popped my head into the, uh, well, you guys were back in the, um, the conference room back then and uh i saw max and dave for the first time and basically revealed myself to be eugene timolesco oh. and they asked me to be on the sh- to come on the show that day
0: you've been on you've you were an early advocate of the streams
1: very much so i think uh it's uh it's a it's a big innovation that we're doing here i mean you think about it there's really no other network that that's doing this uh um, what
0: appeals t- to you about the streams
1: uh, I think what appeals to me about the streams other than the whole crossword puzzle aspect of, of blood feast is uh, the fact that, um, you know, where this kind of crosses in with my work and uh, my sort of personal shtick is the whole fandom element of it. Um, Cause that when I get into things that I like, I get into them deeply crosswords being one of them. Uh, I've been an avid comic book collector for uh A gazillion years um and uh things like that that i just i get into wholeheartedly and at the same time on from a work standpoint we've done a lot of research on uh, generational aspects of uh fandom so i like to think that i you know walk the walk as well as talk the talk so you're a fan i am a fan i'm a fan and look i i don't think i'd be here as long as i have been if i if i wasn't um yeah, I've worked at two companies, this one, and I was at uh, CBS for seven and a half years prior to uh, to Turner.
0: You worked with some famous people there. Dan uh, Rather?
1: I did. I did. Uh, Mike Wallace. Wow. Um, I, when Well, I used the term worked with them loosely. Uh-huh, near them. Uh, well, I was in standards and practices at one point, which was a job that I could not stand.
0: I mean, how... Tough was that with Dan Rather and Mike Wallace? Were they always saying, fuck well,
1: off? The Mike Wallace thing was uh, a time where the National Enquirer was reporting that he, I think he had gotten in some car accident or something. And my phone rang one day and it was him. How he found out that I was the one reviewing that particular ad, I have no idea uh but basically he called and very sternly told me that that commercial was not going to go uh on the air for uh for the National Enquirer um and at that point I had to get my boss involved but uh rather I, d- I actually did deal with personally because I was I, I had to do uh in the job before standards and practices I was with uh, CBS News advertising and promotion and uh part of my job was negotiating the uh uh, the affiliate promos that we would do after CBS This Morning or after the CBS Evening News. And, uh, you know, occasionally you would have anchors that come in from Roanoke or something and want to sit at the desk next to Dan and they'd have scripts already and, you know, you'd have to have everything booked. And I know the first time I did it, I definitely screwed up and Dan was so pissed that he uh, actually would not come out of his office. Wow. Um,
0: They're a temper tantrum.
1: He did throw a tantrum. Because of something you did. Because of something I did. Oh, that's and, kind of cool uh, to have that in yeah. your bank.
0: So what would you have done, what did you almost do besides this job?
1: Um, well, you know, I I talk at uh, NYU once a term. Uh, and one of the things that I, I say to, to the students there is that I, when I was in college as an undergraduate at Michigan, you know, I wish there was someone like me who came in and talked about the different, areas of uh media that you can get into because when i was in michigan and you're doing communication or studying tv or whatever it is i would say probably 98 of the people that were in those classes all they thought about was production and i did too and that's what i got into at first um but it was news and i never really liked news all that much you know there was a point where uh, my boss gave me and my fellow pa uh we had pagers because this was like back in the stone age. Um, and it's all pre nine 11. And uh, I'm on a plane heading back to Michigan, actually for uh, for homecoming and the uh, the pager goes off on the plane. So I hop off the plane. I run to a pay phone, you know, I've got my, my backpack and, you know, very quickly like calling my boss, what's the problem, you know, deal with whatever it is. And I realize I'm late and i booking out, and no sooner do I step outside, I had two hands on each shoulder, and they were federal drug enforcement agents that had profiled me since I would gotten off the plane, because they saw a single guy traveling from New York to Detroit with a pager and a backpack in a big hurry, stopping off to go and make a a very quick phone call at the payphone. Um, so Fortunately, my boss had given me CBS News credentials. So I was able to at least talk my way out of uh, getting, uh, wow, yeah, getting stopped by the federal drug enforcement agents. So were you
0: uh, were you holding?
1: Not not that time, no. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's but the job was like that a lot. And like if you got called late night, you know, you'd have to be in at four or five o'clock in the morning to make sure you got promos on the air before CBS this morning. Um, for Noriega, I was in the building for probably, I don't know, cl- about two and a half days. I wasn't able to leave because we had to follow him and wherever he was going, and constantly getting footage and all that. But uh, yeah, news was news just killed me, and I had to get out. So
0: now you're in the opposite. Yeah. Avid comic book collector. Do you collect other things besides comic books? No. that's a Just no. comic books?
1: Yeah. My collection, I've had cooking since probably I was seven years old. At least that's how far back my earliest uh, personal issues.
0: Were you actively collecting mm-hmm. at seven? Like you knew that you were collecting these yes. or that you just... You weren't just a fan of them. Yes. You had them.
1: My grandparents would go down to Florida, and there was a comic book store down there. I would give them a list of things that I was looking for. Uh, And to this day, uh, those issues are uh, – I have the complete run of the original Justice League of America, starting, I think was 1962, 63. So I have that whole first run. I've got the complete run of Marvel Team-Up. Uh, that was, you know, a lot of issues that they got me back then and I've filled that out over the years, but I've also, um, part of my collection is starting to get like, I have a big Batgirl collection, uh, like the first 20 appearances of Batgirl, first 20 of Silver Surfer, The Punisher, um, I know I'm missing some other stuff, but, uh. Yeah, and I've got some random key issues of things like the First Avengers and First Daredevil, and uh, it, it runs uh, the Gauntlet. Um, actually, you know what? No, there is another collection that I have on my uh, on my uh, blog. My uh, my selfies.
0: Yeah, your selfies. <laughs> I, uh-huh.
1: I've stopped that though. I've slowed down and Why? Tried to stop.
0: So explain what this
1: is. So it kind of started as a goof, and it kind of continued to be a goof. But ultimately, I have a blog, and on it, I have about four hundred items. I I feel as though I've lived kind of, sort of a a Forrest Gumpian (laughs) type of life, where I've been at places where people are, and um, I I have definitely gotten the sense that over the years that things have uh attitudes have changed about doing selfies and things uh so i've kind of like sit on the collection the way it is and i'm 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 happy i have a lot of uh, it's concluded more or less yes
0: come on there's something you're gonna get another one
1: uh the recent one i got missing (laughs) there's a lot that are missing but the recent one that i got was uh jason bateman who was here for a uh tv academy event but that was um uh, I would say different than what my, what my, my normal, uh, hunt is like, what are your highlights? Oh God. Um, there's just so many. It's like trying to, I, I posted one to Instagram today of me and Tom Hanks cause today's his 63rd birthday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did you get a picture with Tom Hanks?
1: Uh, at the Emmys one year I've been to the Emmys about five or six times and that's, that's shooting fish in a barrel. Um, so, uh, you know, people are are at a party and kind of happy. And whoever. who has said no to you? Quite a few. Uh, Chris Noth has said no. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Gina Davis. I was swinging for the fences for some of those, but at the same time, you know, I've got Al Pacino. I've got um, uh, 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 Matt Damon. I've got uh, I've got a bunch of people.
0: Have uh, you gone back to people who have said no and tried again?
1: No, my more recent, uh, as they've started to say no, uh, so say I, I, w- I would be at the Emmys or something, I'd have the ticket with me. So like uh, Lawrence Fishburne was a good example of someone who was super cool and we were talking and I asked and he said very politely no. And I was like, would you please then, could you sign my ticket? He was like, absolutely, totally happy to do it. Wow. Um. So I actually have uh, my most recent Emmy ticket has um, Laura Dern, Lawrence Fishburne, Um, George R. R. Martin and Larry David. How's that for an eclectic mix? Yeah, that's
0: one of everybody.
1: So, yeah, it's a vast collection. Uh, Anybody who wants to uh, see my blog, it's, uh, I believe, on my Twitter or my Instagram. It's easily gotten to. It's entertaining. It's a rabbit hole. Jeff Grant, thanks for coming on. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure.
0: Music from this episode is a song called Living in America from the album Sun Bronze Greek Gods by Dom. Be sure to visit adultswim.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Jeff and I were just talking about. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Adultswimpodcast at gmail.com. Send me, a, maybe you have a request, a criticism. You want to know when Rick and Morty's coming back? I thank you, the listener, for listening.